0: You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Aaron is here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for Windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them that we told you to call. Uh, Thanks to all of you for the help in editing the show yesterday. It's always appreciated. Um, Aaron and I appreciate that a lot. Actually, we really do. So if we miss on an edit... Uh, and you guys call us on it um, and, and mention it to us, we get it fixed. Sometimes it won't fix, right, Aaron, um, the uh, the people that have already downloaded the show, right, and right. listened to the show. But if you get a later version, um, it's updated. But uh, appreciate those that, that pointed that out. Um, Redskins news this morning. The charges against Monte Nicholson were dropped. Kareem Copeland from the Post, I think was the first to report that misdemeanor assault charges against Monte Nicholson stemming from a December incident have been dropped. Um, His lawyer said they were dropped due to insufficient evidence. Also, the misdemeanor public swearing slash intoxication charges won't be pursued at this time. Um, That is the latest on Monte Nicholson. Going to be very interested to see if he ends up showing up for OTAs now that this is, is cleared because I don't know personally whether or not um, Monte Nicholson was a favorite of this coaching staff before the incident in December. Remember, they traded for Haha ha Clinton Dix. Um, but I think Monte Nicholson's a talent. I know that Jay Gruden thinks he's a talent as well. But, you know, on some level, that could end up being more good news for the Redskins who have been on a roll. With recent good news, now if it just continues in the fall on Sunday afternoons, that would be great uh, as well. Aaron, I watched um, I watched Game of Thrones again last night. Quick spoiler alert, by the way, for anybody who hasn't watched it yet. All right, just come back in in a minute or fast forward it a minute. Um, but I, I still have the same thoughts that I had yesterday, except for one thing that we didn't mention. And I think we mentioned it to each other when the show had already been recorded and put up yesterday. Um, The whole Arya thing is confusing to me. She left Winterfell with the Hound without telling anybody that we know of. She arrived in King's Landing roaming the streets without telling anybody. I don't think John knew that she was there. All right. And now she's leaving on a white horse without anyone knowing that she was there or where the hell she's going. Like what exactly was the point other than the Arya farewell to the Hound, which I think was one of the few breaks from fire and carnage in the episode and one of the two very emotional moments in Sunday night's episode, the other being the Tyrion Jamie farewell, which was so emotional. Um of course somebody said to me yesterday uh, they said, I-, I was incredibly moved by the Tyrion-Jamie segment as well, but if Tyrion had really loved his brother, he would have left him locked up in Dragonstone well, yes. and <laughs> not sent him to what became Hell on Earth.
1: Yes. Um, but back to Arya for a second. Where is she heading? I, where, wh- no idea where she's going. I mean, my I'm convinced that she was there just because less from a narrative standpoint and more they wanted someone on the street. They wanted someone kind of going through it and Arya fit that role.
0: You mean taking you through the nuked out streets of King's Landing? Yes, see, and seeing, from, seeing
1: what was going on from that perspective, uh, not just from the soldier. You know, we got with John, we got like kind of what the soldiers were doing. But with Arya, we got to see the people fleeing through the streets. And, and we got, you know, some of the yeah, most intense scenes true. because of that. So I think it was more of a, a they needed her for a purpose and less of a narrative structure. But as far as where she's going, I assume she's just going to the camp where everybody else is going to end up. (laughs) Where she
0: can say to John, yo, uh, I know I didn't tell you I was there, but man, your queen and her dragon nearly torched me. Yes. If you're interested. But, you know, uh, somebody uh, suggested maybe she's heading to wherever Gendry is and she's going to end her life um, and settle down. End her life as an assassin and settle down. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, Anyway, still a very good episode in my opinion. I I know not everyone agreed. I, I spent more time yesterday talking two people about the show than I had um, before we recorded yesterday, and not everybody enjoyed it. I did. I, I enjoyed it again. Understanding the context of everything's being rushed, the Euron Jamie thing I thought was kind of stupid. Um, I don't necessarily. I I wasn't necessarily satisfied with Cersei's death either. But anyway, I thought it was a pretty intense uh, episode. Uh, intense could be tonight or our reaction to what happens tonight at the NBA draft lottery. It's a chance for the Washington Wizards to change the fortune of their franchise, certainly the way people view it. This is the Zion Williamson sweepstakes tonight in the NBA lottery, which will take place before Western Conference Finals Game 1, which I'll have a uh, very brief um, preview of here momentarily. But it's a rare occurrence where there is not just a consensus number one overall pick, but a player so coveted. That he is viewed as someone who will turn the team that gets him into a future contender, a future championship contender. Like there's no doubt in people's minds that Zion Williamson, whoever gets him, that team is going to be a championship threat um, in the future. You know, John Wall may be the last number one overall pick where, you know, he wasn't just the consensus number one, but people viewed him as a lock to change the franchise, but I wouldn't put him in the category of the list that I'm going to give you right now, which is a list of players that were viewed when they were selected as historic franchise changing players, potentially. That list includes, and I went through the list of the number one picks going back to basically Kareem, Lew Cinder, because before that, you know, I I don't know, I didn't know enough about the players. This is like the, and I wasn't, you know, I I don't remember Lew Cinder being drafted either. I do remember barely Bill Walton being drafted, but the list includes 11 players who I think were players that when they were coming out of college, either in the pre-lottery era or the post-lottery era, were thought to be not just consensus number ones, but players that would change significantly the, the fortune of the franchises that took them. On that list, um, pre-lottery was Lou Alcinder, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, to the Bucks in 1969, Bill Walton out of UCLA in 1974 to Portland, David Thompson was selected by Atlanta overall in the 1975 draft, but he went to the ABA. I've mentioned this many times before, David Thompson, for me, is the greatest college basketball player I have ever watched. Now you know, in context, it's the '70s, and uh, you know it's it's a different game. But David Thompson was truly the first college basketball player I can remember of my youth that was uncheckable on every level. He was that great of a college basketball player. And by the way, he was playing simultaneously with, or, you know, not exactly year to year matchup with Walton, but Walton was dominant as a college basketball player. But on this list, Lou Alcinder, Bill Walton, David Thompson, magic in 1979 was considered to be a franchise changer. Ralph Sampson in 83 was definitely thought to be, you know, this massive franchise changer. The lottery came into play just in time for Patrick Ewing to go to the Knicks and all of the conspiracy theories that followed. And Ewing was considered that kind of a player. David Robinson was considered that kind of player in 87. Danny Manning was considered that kind of player in 88. Shaq in 92, Duncan in 97, LeBron in 2003. That's the list of players that I think Zion Williamson now is added to. Players that were beyond consensus number ones. Players that, that you thought as a sports public and teams thought that if we get the number one pick, that guy is going to turn us into a championship contender. Very interesting thing about the the list that I just read, because, and again, that's a, a list in my opinion. Some of you may put, you know, other players onto that list. You may put Wall onto that list. You might put Anthony Davis. I don't know, but that's my list of the players that, what I, from what I remember, they were thought to be major historic franchise changing players and talents. Of those 11 players that I listed, you know, consensus, consensus number ones, but much beyond that. Um, They, eight of them, basically lived up to the billing. Kareem, Walton, Magic, Ewing, Robinson, Shaq, Duncan, and LeBron. You know, Thompson went to the ABA. Um, Manning certainly didn't live up to it. And Ralph didn't. You know, Ralph did initially. I mean, you know, they beat the Lakers, got to the 86 finals with he and Elijah Wan. And by the way, Elijah Wan's not on that list. Um, And Elijah Wan turned out to be one of the greatest players in the history of the game. But Elijah Juan, if you recall coming out of Houston, he was the number one pick, but he was exceptionally raw as a player coming into um, the NBA. Um, Zion Williamson, anyway, is being viewed in that prism, one of the most obvious franchise altering players in the history of the draft. He looks the part physically. You know, he looks the part, you know, like LeBron does physically. And he plays with an edge and a spirit that looks like the one season he played at Duke is him just barely scratching the surface of what he will become. That's what it looks like to me. The Wizards have a 9% chance tonight of getting the top pick. 9%. They have a 27.6% chance of getting a top three pick, which would put them in the running for John Morant, the 6'3 point guard from Murray State. I believe that Zion's going to be a great NBA player. I also believe the same about John Morant. Now, if the Wizards got Zion, they would get a bump um, equivalent, if not greater, uh, than the bump the Redskins got by selecting RG3. That would be the comp. You know, Harper, not so much, because you we knew a lot about Harper, but you didn't really see Harper play until he got here. You just it was the buzz about Harper. It was the SI article about Harper. Um, the prodigy that Harper was. But in terms of the bump that a franchise here locally would get, uh, Zion to the Wizards, uh, there's only one comp for it. It's RG3 in 2012 to the Redskins. And, you know, I know it's the Redskins versus the Wizards. I get it. The Redskins having a much bigger built-in audience than anybody in town, especially, you know, certainly the Wizards. But if the Wizards get the top pick tonight, and with it Zion Williamson, they would be getting more than just a Heisman Trophy winning sensation, you know, from Baylor. They would be getting the most popular needle mover college basketball has had in years, years, Aaron. It helped that he played at Duke. Of course, I get that. Going back to November though, when Duke opened their season, remember when they blew out Kentucky by like 40 points and Zion went, you know, was magical that night. He became a star. People watched college basketball during the regular season, watched Duke anyway, for the first time in a long time. College basketball, its popularity had been waning. And I think Zion Williamson to Duke gave it a jolt this year that it has not had in a long time, that sport. He played in front of Hollywood. He played in front of professional star athletes like LeBron. He played in front of former presidents. Remember Obama at Cameron Indoor for the Duke Carolina game the night that he blew out the shoe. Everybody wanted to see Zion Williamson. He's the biggest college basketball star to enter the NBA. He's the big, whoa, let me back up, not college, but he's the biggest star to enter the NBA since LeBron. And we didn't even get to see LeBron play before he got to the NBA. And it was well before social media became such a factor in our lives. He's a bigger pop culture figure than RG3 or Bryce Harper or even LeBron was. You know, it's, it's, I, I will concede that the Duke thing has a lot to do with it. You know, that if Zion Williamson had decided to go and play, at um South Carolina. Yeah, South Carolina, which which is his home state. That's a that's a good comp. It would not have been the same thing. If he'd gone to Kansas or Kentucky or North Carolina, it probably would have but Duke was the perfect spot for it to become a pop culture for him to become a pop culture phenomenon, which is what he became. If the Wizards win this lottery, uh he's going to sell tickets immediately. He's going to attract eyeballs, yours, mine, and nationally, immediately. In fact, the eyeballs on the Wizards will increase exponentially if they get the pick tonight, the number one pick. The attention on the Wizards will become significant. They'll go from a team that nobody cares about right now to a team that everybody in sports begins to pay attention to. Now, if they end up getting the number two or three pick and they can pick John Morant... I actually believe that his impact, long term, in terms of wins and losses, could equal Zion's. I love John Morant, so if they end up with you know the twenty seven point six percent chance of getting a top three pick, which right now Zion, John Morant, and I guess R.J. Barrett, right, are pretty much the consensus top three picks. Zion obviously the number one, but you know I've seen mocks with, with either Morant two or Barrett two, but no worse than either one of them going thir- third overall. Anyway, uh, while we're on hoops, we didn't mention the Beeline story yesterday because it sort of happened as we were recording, and then uh, we knew it, and we just didn't get to it. We forgot about it. But I am intrigued by this. First of all, as a Maryland fan, I'm happy John Beeline's out of the Big Ten. He is a great college basketball coach. Great. Been one of my favorites for years going back to when he was at West Virginia. Um, By the way, did you see who the, the leading contender is right now?
1: I mean, I've seen who people are campaigning for.
0: Billy Donovan.
1: Well, that's who I would if I'm them. If I'm them and I'm him, I think it's a perfect match. But
0: if he wants to go back to college, which I'm really surprised he hasn't gone to back to back to and college, and that's the thing already.
1: This, this seems to me, you know, we're assuming he's not going to coach that much longer in Oklahoma City. If he's looking to go back to college, you're not going to get a much better opportunity than Michigan yeah. opening up. So it, it makes all the sense in the world to me.
0: Um. I, if Billy, Billy Donovan is a good basketball coach, Uh, you know, the NBA to me is not, I I just, I think that the, I think a college basketball coach has much more of an impact on a game than a pro coach does. And I would, I would imagine that Donovan misses that, whatever. I mean, he won two national championships as a coach at Florida. Um, look, the history of, of college guys going to the NBA isn't great. You know, Calipari and Patino and, uh, Leonard Hamilton to the wizards, you know, from, from Miami, Lon Kruger, who I think is a very good coach, Brad Stevens here recently. Yes. Uh, Fred Hoiberg. No, uh, Billy Donovan, not really. So, uh, beeline though, you know, the, the thing about beeline is there's a lot of what I would call micro managing coaching. Like he likes to micromanage possessions. That's not the NBA, but at the same time, he does a great job in spreading the floor and using his talent in a way to create space and to shoot threes. And I, I like him as a coach. I, I think he's an exceptional coach. I wonder at his age, with the way he micromanages a game. I wonder if that'll fit in the NBA, you know, especially with a team
1: that's not very good. Um, well, we think they're not very good. For all we know, know
0: they might get Zion tonight. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but anyway, uh, exceptional college basketball coach. I have no idea how it will work out for him in the NBA. I would guess that it wouldn't work out well if you force me to bet it either way. But it's not going to shock me if Beeline has success because he's smart. And the way he coaches, spreading a floor and creating matchup issues and – you know, drive, kick three, but you know, boy, I'll tell you what. I mean, that team also was such a great zone offensive team whenever they faced it. Um, and you don't see that in the NBA. Uh, anyway, uh, so there was that, uh, from yesterday that we didn't touch on, um, tonight, Western conference finals game one, no Durant for at least the first two games, maybe longer. Um, I think Portland has a chance tonight. I think Portland has a chance to make it a long series. I don't think they have a chance to win the series. I will pick right up front Golden State in six. So I'm giving Portland a chance to win two games. I think Clay Thompson on either Lillard or McCollum will be interesting. I think that's really where Portland's strategy begins. They're going to try to isolate Curry defensively with either Lillard or McCollum. That will be a huge part of their game plan as much as anything else will be. Um and watching, you know, how that works out uh will and if it works out well for Portland, it's going to keep them competitive. They've got a terrific backcourt, obviously, with Lillard and C.J. McCollum. And both, uh, you know, equally being able to, you know, keep a team in a game and give them a, give a team a chance. The blaze, the Blazers, by the way, are a better coach team than Houston. Um, they're going to make Golden State work defensively more than Houston did. You know, the great thing about facing an ISO team, even when the guy that that is doing most of the ISOing, like James Harden, and he's difficult. I, I understand, very difficult to stop, but you get to rest on defense. You know, three three players, sometimes four get to rest on defense, which makes you more productive offensively. It's a big missing piece of the discussion about Golden State's success, about Houston's failure, about, you know, analytics and iso ball and shooting threes and the whole thing is no matter what you do offensively, you've got to make somebody work defensively or it's going to be easier for them on the offensive end. Uh... The thickness isn't the same defensively for Portland, but the length is very effective with Aminu and Harkless and, you know, a guy like Zach Collins off the bench as a a shot blocker. I think this is a good series coming up. I mean, I I think at some point, maybe tonight, you're going to think for a moment that Portland has a chance. I don't think they'll win the series, but again, I like Golden State in six. Uh, Quick word. About Window Nation. It's graduation time, not just for schools, but it's time for your home to graduate. Up to new energy efficient windows from Window Nation. And as a graduation gift, all window styles 50% off. You choose bays, bows, double hung, wood, vinyl, any size, any color. All custom made and all at 50% off. Window Donation's massive buying power is a diploma in deals, and they'll pass the savings on to you. It gets even better. Make no down payment right now. That's no down payment with no payments and no interest for 12 full months for a year. No down payment, no payments, no interest. If you call Window Donation this week, you'll be able to take 50% off every window, plus you'll get free blinds with the purchase of a house of windows, new windows, save energy, improve the look and value of your home. Now they are 50% off from window nation with no down payment, no payments, no interest for 12 months plus free blinds. Call Window Nation today. Harley, Aaron, Eric, they're the best. Mention my name, they'll be out to your home the next day for a free in-home estimate. They'll come out, they'll provide a quote and that quote is valid for a full year. The school year is about to end, so is this deal. 86690 Nation or online at windownation.com. That's 86690 Nation or windownation.com and tell them that I told you to call. Chris Raybon from the Action Network is going to be coming up here um, shortly. Um, the reason I asked him to be on the show is he wrote a very interesting story about quarterbacks in their first years versus the quarterbacks that you wait on. Um, and specifically talked about Mahomes and Alex Smith in that first year uh, in Kansas City in 2017. And so he will be joining us uh, here shortly. But I did read after the show yesterday, and I don't know if it was out before the show, but I didn't read it until after. I did read Albert Breer's story in Sports Illustrated, MMQB, uh, on the Redskins and Gruden. And I wanted to take five minutes to talk about that. Um, There are two uh, quotes. He interviewed Gruden for this story. And Breer's been a good... um, uh uh, Gruden's been a great contact for Breer over the years uh Breer some of Breer's stories especially going back to that RG3 story that he wrote in 2014 during the season with Gruden's quotes in it Breer's been able to get Gruden to, to open up a little bit um not that it's that hard Gruden will tend to be very honest as we've talked about but there were uh two uh sections of his story that I wanted to read and comment on the first is this that Gruden made a massive investment in studying the quarterbacks this year to see if one would warrant Washington's first-round pick, Breer wrote. Gruden personally watched every 2018 throw, and then some. From every quarterback the team was considering picking, not just Dwayne, this is a quote from Gruden now, not just Dwayne, not just Kyler, but all of them, from Clayton Thorson to Jarrett Stidham to Ryan Finley to Will Greer, all those guys, Gruden said, quote, Moore watched every game, every throw that they made, how they handled themselves under pressure. That's the big thing. You try to find good defenses that, that gave them pressure to see how they handled pressure and go through all their throws. And if you have more than one season, you go back and watch another season. Dwayne only had one. Kyler only had one. Uh, then Breer writes: The Redskins then met with the quarterbacks at the combine, canvassed all their pro days with offensive coaches, and used eight of the thirty in-house visits teams are allotted for prospects to bring quarterbacks to Washington. Haskins, Stidham, Thorson, Finley, Greer, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones made it to the, to, made it to the facility to meet with the team. Murray canceled on them late in the process. For Gruden. Breer writes the most important thing was knowing this class of quarterbacks and he felt like he knew this class better than any class since 2011 when he was in Cincinnati by the way, when Carson Palmer's retirement led to Cincinnati to draft led Cincinnati to draft Andy Dalton in the second round. okay, a couple of things about this. Uh, Breer makes it very clear that Jay was more involved in the quarterback search this year than he has. Has been since 2011 when he was in Cincinnati. This is something we've talked about. You know, I mentioned the Case Keenum thing. Remember, there was the story, and I think it came from the Junkies on 106.7. I could be wrong; it may have come from somewhere else. Where somebody had said that Jay uh, didn't know about Case Keenum, um, and I said, "No, that's not true." That you know, Jay didn't know about uh, about Alex Smith. Jay was not asked to evaluate Alex Smith significantly or any of the quarterbacks in the draft last year. Which, by the way, Jay admitted. Remember last year. Um, I think his involvement in the Alex Smith uh, decision, I'm not saying that he didn't know about Alex Smith and that he didn't look at Alex Smith, but I think his influence in that decision was, was nil. Uh, this was, some, Bruce wanted to make that move and he made that move more coming up, uh, on that, by the way, with our guest here shortly. But, um, I think Jay was, and I talked about it. Jay's more involved. He was more involved in Case Keenum and he was more involved in looking at other quarterbacks, potential free agent quarterbacks like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, and he was much more involved in looking at the rookies, the college quarterbacks. Um, now what you have to consider and you don't get from this story necessarily is whether or not Jay was more involved in this process because Jay decided to get more involved in this process. Or if Bruce said, Hey, uh, the Alex Smith thing, it wasn't the best fit. I need you more involved this time around. And then Jay got more involved. I hope it's the latter. I hope there was some, you know, admission from Bruce that he needs help in evaluating these quarterbacks. Um, and that he's going to rely on some of his people to help him evaluate the quarterbacks, or maybe it was just to include Jay in the process, so Jay felt more included in the process. Alex Smith was not a good fit for Jay for Jay Gruden. Bruce Allen didn't know it at the time. Okay, why would he? He's not very good at doing this. This time he wanted Jay involved in the Case Keenum evaluation and 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 in all of the rookie quarterback evaluations. I like that. Um, I hope it's Jay being asked and Jay, you know, getting excited about being more involved in that. I hope that's how it played out. Um, then there was this quote uh, in Albert Breer's story. Uh, when you draft a quarterback in the first round, a team, uh, this is a Breer writing, when you draft a quarterback in the first round, a team is hoping to have him for 15 years. If you hit on the pick, if you hit on the pick, it means job security for everyone. It changes everything. The, then the, the response to that from, from Gruden is, quote, That's the hope. But we're not giving up on Case Keenum or Colt McCoy either. They're going to have a chance, an opportunity to compete and win the job. And so it might be a year. It might be two years. It might be three years. All right? These guys have a skill set that's pretty appealing as well as far as their ability to rally teams around them and compete but it is exciting to have a quarterback here that you're going to have for at least five years that you know you can grow with. You can build your offense around his skill set. It's exciting for sure. Closed quote. A couple of things real quickly. Number one is that Breer makes it very clear in his story that Jay likes Haskins. He doesn't make it clear whether or not he likes Haskins more than any other quarterback, or less than any other quarterback but that he likes Haskins he believes in his physical tools you know so that's good and I and I believe that too and I made a point the other day to say look when we've talked about the reports that that this is a Dan Snyder pick it was a Dan Snyder pick but it doesn't mean that Jay Gruden didn't like Haskins doesn't mean that Jay Gruden wouldn't have loved Haskins as a second round pick or a later first round pick that the football people wouldn't have loved Haskins, you know, late first round, early second, because their grade wasn't top 15. It doesn't mean that he doesn't like the quarterback or the quarterback's potential. And he evaluated these quarterbacks. So uh, he had input on Haskins and it was positive. I don't know that it was more positive than it was on Daniel Jones. I think Gruden liked Daniel Jones too, but Daniel Jones wasn't there. I think a very interesting thing would have been what would have happened had Jones and Haskins been there at 15. We'll never know. But he does like Haskins. But he also said in that last quote, it might be a year, it might be two years, it might be three years. So, we're going to find out soon enough here. You know, they're going to go ahead and let him compete. And we're going to find out. We're going to find out if Dwayne Haskins is ready to compete for an NFL starting job as a rookie or whether or not it's more of a long term play. We will know that within a couple of months. All right, quick word about stamps.com. If you have a small business, you need Stamps.com. Listen very closely, because I've done a ton of research on this. Stamps.com, first of all, is introduction, is the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts that you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. post office right to your computer, whether you're a small office sending invoices, To clients, or you're an online seller shipping out products, or if you're a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, stamps.com is a must. It'll handle all of that with ease. You simply use your computer, you print out official U.S. postage 24 hours a day, seven days a week for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. it's that simple. With Stamps.com, by the way, you get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saves you time and money. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Now, right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus Free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com right now. Click on the microphone at the top of the home page and type in my code word Kevin DC, Ka- all caps Kevin DC K E V I N D C. That's stamps.com. Enter Kevin DC. If you're a small business, you've got to try out their special offer. All right, I want to bring in Chris Raybon from the Action Network. If you bet on sports, follow the Action Network uh, on Twitter. And follow Chris on Twitter, at Chris Raybon, R-A-Y-B-O-N. And somebody sent me the story that you wrote um, on the myth of starting quarterbacks uh, in year one, you know, sort of sitting versus starting and what the results have been on that over the years. And then you had some very interesting information and thoughts about Patrick Mahomes sitting that first year in Kansas City as it relates to Alex Smith, who the Redskins traded for a year ago. And never really before his injury, Chris got into a rhythm offensively um, with Jay Gruden. But I want to start with basically a a big premise for your story that you wrote, which is, you know, why the thought of sitting a a rookie quarterback in year one isn't necessarily a good idea.
2: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I I was kind of going along with the conventional wisdom that, you know, I, I was sure that you know, Mahomes probably benefited from sitting. And then, you know, when David Gettleman started all this madness, you know, the Giants game started all this madness about, you know, the Kansas City model and the Green Bay model, I decided to look at the numbers. And it turns out that really the only quarterbacks that are sitting in year one are the ones that are either behind a Hall of Fame guy like a Brady or a Favre, or they're just not a really good quarterback to begin with. And if you look at um, the numbers for, for for many of these other quarterbacks, um, the, the better quarterbacks in the league, um, they're starting in year one. And not only are they starting in year one, but they're pretty much uh, putting up numbers, you know, on par in year two that they are in year one. And also the ones starting in year one are going on to have the best careers. So, you know, the, the, there's a correlation between um, year one starts and, you know, career success in terms of not only, uh, you know, length, but also efficiency, so and winning percentage. So um, I found it kind of silly that that people would kind of say, "Well, um, these quarterbacks are gaining these gr- this great benefit uh, from starting in year one," when in reality, it's just more of. Um, coming down to the quarterback skill level or who's in front of him to begin with.
0: Give us some of the names, because I think we all as football fans think of Aaron Rodgers sitting behind Brett Favre as a massive success story and Patrick Mahomes in that one year sitting watching Alex Smith in what was and turned out to be Alex Smith's career year, being a benefit to him as well. But they are few and far between compared to the guys that have started in their rookie seasons and had success, right?
2: Absolutely. You know, if you look at some some of the other names, it's kind of funny. You know, um, you know, Brody Croyle is a guy that comes to mind. Uh, you know, Kevin Cobb, uh, Kellen Clemens, Jake Walker, Garrett Grayson, Chad Henne. I mean, these are the other guys, and, and it's funny because, you know, this is being called a model when in reality there's just not a lot of, of guys that have even done this that have, you know, uh, you know sat on the bench and then, you know, kind of got on to, to do much of anything at all. But, um, yeah, there, there are a lot of guys who really nothing ever came of them, and that's, again, just because they are um, – they, they weren't highly skilled quarterbacks and there was a reason that they were sitting on the bench.
0: But guys like Cam Newton and Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck and so far Deshaun Watson, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers, uh, you know, all the, the the guys that all started almost right away um, have had great careers uh, as well. What What is your hunch, you know, because you don't necessarily have any numbers, but what is your hunch about Dwayne Haskins? Do you think the Redskins are better off starting him from the get-go or not? I do because I
2: think, and you know, I think there are obviously some reasons to be, you know, concerned about Haskins and some reasons to be excited about him. Um, but but I do think that he should be starting in, in year one because you know if he's not the answer, um, you you want to know that quicker. Um, and there's also just reason to believe that you know the, the quicker you get a quarterback out there, you know, the, the more he's learning on the fly. You know, one of my big criticisms with the Chiefs and and Mahomes and sitting him was that. You know, a lot of the things Alex Smith could have taught Patrick Mahomes, and I'm sure – and, you know, everyone says that, you know, he did learn from him. He benefited from having a guy – a veteran on the team. But, you know, Alex Smith was out there running an offense that – uh, was running it in the exact opposite way that Mahomes is brought in to run it. So, how much benefit can you really get from from watching a guy do that? And I think you know it's kind of a similar situation in Washington, where you want Haskins, given his ability to make all the throws, you want to get him out there and and, and really see what he can do. And um, I think that would I think it would be him to start him from from day one.
0: I think one of the things that. Uh, I took from your story before we get to the Alex Smith stuff, which was very interesting too. And you've already, you you just began uh, to to touch on it is that the Redskins have Case Keenum and Colt McCoy potentially in the building. And Colt McCoy is not even healthy yet. So neither one of them is you know, uh, you would consider to be Hall of Famer or, you know, a legitimate proven, you know, top-tier elite starting quarterback. And so if Haskins isn't starting from the get-go, it could be that what the coaching staff is saying is you've got, you know – You've got a guy that isn't ready to start or may not be that good um, potentially based on on your study but I want to move on to Alex Smith here for a moment in the season that he spent with Patrick Mahomes because I think it may have been like a month ago that this came up in a conversation um, and I and I just said to uh, you know I think it was Chris Cooley who was on that day with me I said, does anybody really think that Patrick Mahomes wouldn't have been great in year one? Like seriously, after what we saw last year, was it so much? And he and he complimented Chris, you know, Alex Smith, a ton, and gave him a lot of credit for his year two success. But does anybody watching Patrick Mahomes last year think that he wouldn't have done the same thing in year one? And you say, of course, he would have.
2: Yeah, and and, and this was something that you know I was even a little bit surprised by the numbers because you know essentially when I looked at it, you know what what the numbers come out to be is that. There is there's a small, uh, you know, there's a jump from, from year one to year two in, in the average quarterback. And I looked at quarterbacks, um, just to be clear, you know, day one and day two guys um, that were drafted since uh, 05, which is the year Rodgers was drafted. Right. So essentially since you can start thinking in in, the, in these terms. Um, and it, it turns out that, you know, if you look at their, their yardage increases by about 5% from year one to year two, uh, their... Their touchdowns jump about 27% on average, and then their, their adjusted net yards per attempt about 11%. So there is a jump from year one to year two. However, um, two things. One, when I looked at now just the, you know, the better quarterback, you know, the guys you mentioned, Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck, Deshaun Watson, um, those guys don't really make any jump from year one to year two. They were good right away. A lot of those, that, that, that average of jump, um, those rates of increase come from the fact that you have guys like uh, Blake Bortles and, and Ryan Tannehill, who, who really had poor rookie years, and, and then made you know jumped into kind of that you know average-ish, you know below average, average kind of. Um, you know, here in their second year. So um, if you look at like a Russell Wilson, you know, his, you know, his number didn't change at all. Uh, Cam Newton, you know, more yardage actually his, his uh, rookie year, you know, one more win the next year, you know? So a lot of these guys, Deshaun Watson was actually on pace for 48 touchdowns uh, and and, and about 5,000 yards himself. So Deshaun Watson stays healthy. He's on pace to put up those Mahomes numbers in year two uh, in his rookie year. So, um, you know, there's a lot – and if you even if you apply that projection, you know, with those increases and, and, you, and you've gained Mahomes, um, you know, and, and knocked him down just to what that would have projected out to in year one, um, he would have still led the league uh, in every category as a passer. And uh, the Chiefs would have scored three more points, which – um, per game, which, um, you know, could have been the equivalent, could have been enough to get them, you know, that a, a win against Pittsburgh or, or enough wins to maybe get a, a number two seed instead of a number four seed, which, you know, just drastically changes uh, their Super Bowl chances coming in. Because, you know, when you come in as a four seed, and just having Alex Smith, of course, um, you know, is, is changing them too. But um, there's a lot of things that could have gone differently had this team started Patrick Mahomes uh, in year one.
0: No doubt about that. And one of the things that always surprised me about the 2017 season in Kansas City, and I talked about this a lot when the Redskins traded for Alex Smith, is there was a stretch of that 2017 season where they lost like either five out of six or six out of seven games and were spiraling, you know, out of the playoff hunt when they had started so strongly. And one of the major reasons is that they couldn't move the football and they couldn't score. You know, they, they played a game in the, Meadowlands against the Giants, where they, I think they scored nine points and lost in overtime. They played Buffalo and could barely score. They went to Dallas and could barely score. And I remember thinking, "Wow, they traded up for Mahomes. He must not be ready. Must not be any good if they haven't put him in there for Smith." I'm wondering why Andy Reid never made the switch during that season. Oh yeah, you know this
2: is this is, and I and I actually wrote about this, so I actually. I do team previews for every team for the Action Network, did them last year, talked about this in the Redskins preview and actually, um, you know, did a lot of Redskins media last year. And people kind of really, a lot of people disagreed on this one. But, you know, Alex Smith, at one point during that, that, that stretch that, that you mentioned, uh, Travis Kelsey actually, to the media, says we can't beat cover two. Until we can beat cover two, are just going to sit on us. And that, that was a trend that, that started in the Pittsburgh game and you know when when you essentially you're playing a cover two show. You're, you're you know Alex Smith. You know he he sees the two safeties deep. He's not really going to try much deep if, 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 unless it's wide open. And you have an extra defender underneath now. So um, that that persisted for a while. And I, I think when, when I really looked into it, you know, I was kind of surprised as well. But um, you know, going off the reports, you know, the, the local reports and and uh, you know some other reports from ESPN, uh, uh, you know, from camp, what it seemed like was that. They made the decision when Mahomes was drafted not to play him for the duration of year one, and, and that sounded kind of strange to me because it was quote unquote a near unanimous decision, as the Star, Kansas City Star, reports. Um, and, and it just it was it was weird to me that it wouldn't be a unanimous decision, yet they would come to this decision um, seemingly bounding. You know, it, it didn't seem like they said, "Hey, we're, we're just not going to start it from the jump." It seemed like they said, "We're not going to take this guy off the bench in, in year one," and it seemed like. Uh, it, it looked to me at least like, and I give more reasons in the article, but it looked to me at least like um, orders were coming directly from the top uh, from Clark Hunt. Clark Time's the owner, um, always been uh, an Alex Smith guy. Always kind of been been a guy known to uh, want to do things the right way. Been a guy known to at times, um, you know, uh, you know, be sitting better safe than sorry and, and to kind of draw out. Um, potential transitions, um, you, know, even the, you know, even going back to, you know, the firing of GM John Dorsey who, you know, didn't happen as quick as some people thought it should have even even right after the draft. It, it kind of lingered for a few weeks. So, um, you know, that's what it kind of looks like to me that uh, Hunt potentially did not want uh, Mahomes out there in, in, in year one. And, you know, let's remember, you know, you got to feel for Smith at the same time because this was a guy who, but, and this actually proves the point too. But this is a guy who, in San Francisco, he was he was having a career year in 2012, and um, they had a defensive team, uh, perfect kind of for uh, you know what most people would think Smith is, which is a game manager. Um, you know, perfect team for that. And yet he gets hurt, he gets a concussion, and he never gets a chance to win his job back. Right. You know, Harbaugh goes with Colin Kaepernick on on a team that you would think is perfect um, for an Alex Smith type of quarterback having a career year, not turning the ball over, completing a high percentage of his passes. Um, and so you have to kind of question, you know, you know, the, the upside of Alex Smith and, and what, what's really thought of him around the league. And, and a lot of times I think, you know, he's he getting the, the chances that he got later on in his career because he is just such a good dude and such a class act and, and a guy that you don't want to root against. And, and so, you know, I, I think Hunt had a lot to do with, with him staying out there that whole year because Hunt actually declared him the starter – in, in in February, two months before they even drafted Mahomes, and he, and he went on to be very complimentary of him. i um, very protective of the narrative surrounding his his imminent departure. Even uh even well into that season when they when they were in a slump.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating stuff. You know, in in thinking about not only what happened here and how the trade came about, with really uh, the football people not necessarily um as much involved as they as they were in the case keenum signing uh, as an example in this offseason bruce allen really being aggressive in in going after alex smith in part a lot of us felt uh, at the time because he wanted to save face on the whole cousin 's debacle, they need it, but well, they needed a starter too. There was no doubt about that uh-huh. they needed a starting quarterback. But I think about that two thousand and seventeen chiefs team and think about that second half when they had a twenty one three lead over the Titans in that wild card round game, and Kelsey got hurt. And they couldn't move the football. You know, it was painful to watch them. You know, give up that lead, and you know th- this was in the midst of Kansas City losing all those home home playoff games before they finally won one uh, this year uh, at Arrowhead. But it was, uh, I, you know, in many ways. And you wrote about this. It was a lost opportunity for the Chiefs in 2017 with the team they had.
2: Absolutely, Kevin, because. You know, and, and I'm a big numbers guy, but I'm also a big film guy. So, you know, as I was doing this article, I made sure to go back and, and watch and watch those games and watch that, that Titans game, you know, just, just to make sure I didn't have any, you know, confirmation bias. And, and I looked at all the, every single play, uh, especially after Chelsea got hurt, and, you know, there were some drops. There was a missed field though. But really what you saw was that Alex Smith, there were a lot of plays where he, it was just a defined uh, read for him to get rid of the ball really quickly, um, he didn't really bother looking downfield at all and, and and then that you put yourself in that position then when you have a drop or you have something not go your way that you just can't get out of a hole and you know and second and long third and long, there were just too many plays where Alex Smith uh you know threw way underneath at one point I think he threw about like five yards behind the line to to Tyree kill he pulled a couple of balls down and run uh maybe two or three balls down and ran with them to, to nowhere and put them in really tough yep. situations and also, it allowed the Titans to really creep up uh, and, and hone in on the run game because uh, Kareem Hunt, you know, who was really, really great for them that year, only 17 yards on five carries in the second half. And, yeah, I think that if, if Patrick Mahomes is out there, and you know, a, a, in that game or just from the moment they kind of went into that slump that you mentioned, I think that their the Kansas City Super Bowl chances would have been uh, anywhere from, you know, 1% higher to, to more than quadruple. because, And that's what I kind of talked about in the article. And uh, anything better than Alex Smith um, for that 2017 team uh, has a tangible impact on 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 the Chiefs Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, and it, it, by the way, I remember that Tennessee game so well, Chris, because I had the Titans on the money line. And, and down 21-3, <laughs> you know, there was no chance. And then all of a sudden, Derrick Henry's running wild in the second half. Um, including I remember it was like a third and 12 late in that game they needed to get a first down and uh and he picked up like 20 yards to, to ice the game but um it's it, you know with as it relates to the Redskins though this is why you know I've you know look case Keenum for three and a half million bucks was worth it you know considering their quarterback situation and there was no guarantee that they were going to get something in the draft but I've advocated here over the last few weeks since the draft is if Haskins is anywhere we're near close to Keenum or Colt McCoy, they should play him. And you've given me more reason for it now with this story, but one of the reasons I said that they should do it is they've got to find out on this guy sooner rather than later because there were mixed feelings on Haskins uh, you know, at Redskins Park. You, the football people don't think and, and would have preferred that, that Haskins had come later in the first round, not at 15, and I think some of the people like Daniel Jones a little bit more than Haskins, but you've got to find out out because next year's draft is once again loaded not that anybody out there is thinking that way but i want to see him sooner rather than later as well if he's ready you know if, if he and if he's not what you're suggesting in your story is it may be a reflection of what he is um especially Absolutely. especially given the competitive landscape last thing on um the redskins last year with alex smith you, I, I'm assuming that you predicted this going into last year, that it wasn't going to be what Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder were hoping it would be. Um, but were you surprised that Jay Gruden didn't seem to... You know, create an offensive opportunity for Alex Smith. There was very little bootleg. There was very little play action. You know, there was a ton of RPO, and there was too much drop back. There was no quick game. You know, you talked about cover two. They they faced in week two last year, Indianapolis, where, you know, underneath stuff was open all game long, and they never threw it. Um, what did you make of the whole Gruden-Alex Smith, you know, dynamic last year?
2: Yeah, you know, and this this actually – I mean, I don't want to say I predicted exactly what would happen, but, you know, I did. I did call the Redskins out in the, in the, in, uh, before the season for, for that move, and I thought it was the wrong move. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that one of the problems is that, um, you know, this, this, the whole front office, the, down to the coaching staff, I don't think this is a front office nor a coaching staff that necessarily deserves the benefit of the doubt. Um, when it comes to these decisions. Because, first of all, you mentioned the Broncos and, and Keenum this year and, and all that, and, you know, the, the Broncos are actually the team that, that was going to trade for, for Alex Smith, uh, not the Redskins. And, and, and Clark Hunt, the owner of the Chiefs, actually kind of blocked it and said, no, we're not, we're not trading are not the division. In the division. So, um, you know, you, I think as as fans, as, as people who cover the team, you know, you know people, people like me coming from, you know, the, the betting background and, and, and the fantasy background, we kind of have the skin in the game sometimes, and, and so we're not as biased. And we don't, we don't, we we kind of check when when these when these front offices are 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 trying to sell these moves. And I think that I would I would encourage you know um, you know the, the media at large to do that more because I think a lot of times they're just trying to sell these moves because that's what, ha- that's what they happened to make. You know, like, like even with the Haskins situation, you know, um, the Giants took a lot of heat for what they did with Daniel Jones. But, you know, that, that, there was a lot more going on with these quarterbacks in this draft. I mean, the Broncos traded out uh, of the first round, uh, of the 10th. You know, they could have took Locke. They could have took Haskins. They, they, they declined. Locke, Locke remained there. Um, you know, if, if the Redskins, if the Giants take Haskins, the Redskins probably take another quarterback and they're going to say, of course we wanted this quarterback, you know? Right. So, um, you know, I, I think that um, last year, I, I think that Jay Gruden did not do a good job with Alex Smith. I think that Andy Reid um, is, is a wizard, a, uh, Nagy Nat Nagy, who was the coordinator of that in 2017. Um, you could see why he got a job. Um, with Chicago and, and, and why they had the success that they did. And, and Trubisky had a, a complete night and day turnaround from year one with John Fox. Um, there are certain coordinators that are, are that they understand how to to, to to play to their team strengths. And I'm not sure Gruden has necessarily proven to be that guy. I mean, he, you know, he, he kind of had a situation where he had some good coordinators in there at times, and 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 you know he had he had Robert Griffin and his talents there for a while before he the injuries kind of took their toll, and then you know Cousins they kind of lucked into him, you know lucked into having uh, drafted a second quarter, which I think was a really good move, and you know I think that that kind of saved the Redskins, and, um, and 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 then they get rid of it, you know, and and I I'm not sure that. They wouldn't have been better off just just continuing on with Cousins, who had his own problems in Minnesota, also for coordinator reasons. Um, but uh, I think I, I wonder sometimes if all this could have been avoided if they had just not kind of, uh, I guess, ruined their relationship with with Kirk Cousins in in D.C. I'm not sure they would have been any uh,
0: worse off. Well, just so everybody's clear on this, Chris and I have never talked before, and I had no idea what his position on Cousins was. But just so you know, Chris, I've been one of the biggest defenders in the market uh, of Cousins, and um, I still to this day think it was a massive mistake after the 2015 season not to lock him up for for a deal that Kirk would have been willing to sign in the moment for somewhere you know in the neighborhood of you know 45 to 50 million guaranteed which right now would look like an absolute bargain um, uh, NFL, uh, contract wise, uh, Sean McVay was a big part of Kirk Cousins success here as he was obviously in turning Jared Goff around as well. I don't know that I totally disagree with you on, on Gruden. Um, but I do think Gruden knows how to put a pass offense together Um, And I think it just sometimes takes the right guy. The interesting thing about our Alex Smith discussion, Chris, is that, you know, a lot of Redskins fans will say, look, you know, he didn't turn the ball over like Cousins did. And, you know, they were they were five and two when he got hurt. But, you know, any real objective, you know, analysis of what you were watching, the Redskins were struggling offensively with Alex Smith to throw the football and move the football consistently. Um, And it was going to catch up with them before the end of the year had he stayed healthy. And by the way, he does have certain leadership abilities and, um, you know, and smarts that you want in a starting quarterback. Um, But it wasn't a good fit uh, with Gruden. It just wasn't.
2: Yeah. It was, I mean, if you are, you know, for Redskins fans who – you know, this might it might ruffle feathers and people might not be happy to hear about that with Alex Smith. But you know, just look at it objectively. I think go back to his two best seasons, 2012 with the Niners and 2017 with the Chiefs, and ask yourself why in 2017 did he did he did he did he get benched and never get a chance to earn his job back, and why in 2017 after his career best year were did, were they still fine? Was shipping him off for a quarterback that they've never seen. That's right. Um, You know, always see start one NFL game. You know, this is you. You don't. You can. I I kind of compare it to. It's going to be a very odd comparison, but I think it will actually click to some extent um, (laughs) with Redskins fans. You know, remember the quarterbacks that um, won Super Bowls that aren't really considered very good. Eli Manning joe flacco over the past few years um joe flacco always known as a guy who you know one thing about him he had the arm. he would go he would go down the field eli manning a guy who um earlier to the, to the midpoint in his career he would interceptions were a used problem for him i mean he had one year i think he had like 20 some odd interceptions he was always throwing the ball down the field it would get tipped up in the air get kicked off these guys won super bowls now look at eli manning he has a career-high completion percentage. He rarely ever throws an interception, and yet the Giants' uh, offense can't move the ball. And they have all these—they have—they <laughs> they have two potential future Hall of Fame. Right. Guys. Um. And and the reason is because the simple fact of not challenging tight windows, not challenging. Down the field, and this is Alex Smith's problem. He was 40th of 41 quarterbacks in tight window throw rate in 2017. The the, the thing was, there were no he didn't have to ever throw in tight windows. Albert Wilson Tyree led Hill. the league. And, yeah, Al, yeah wait, Albert Albert it?
0: Wilson led the league. That's right. I, you you yeah. in the in your story, yeah. you said in terms of <laughs> separation, right?
2: Yes. Yes, and this is not – I'm not saying Albert Wilson's amazing receiver. What I'm saying is Harry Kills, uh, Kelsey, Hunt, that uh, Reed, Nagy. This created a situation where even Alex Smith's, uh, you know, secondary receiver, a guy like Albert Wilson, was so wide open that he never even had to think twice about throwing the ball to him. So um, this is what – this is what this uh, a guy like Alex Smith creates. You won't see the turnovers because he's not taking the risk. He's pulling the ball down. He's taking sacks, or he's, th- he's throwing it away, or he's taking a, a short gain. That's the exact criticism of Eli Manning in New York now, even though his numbers from a uh, from a completion percentage standpoint uh, and in a turnover standpoint are as good as they've ever been. So that's what I would kind of um, kind of suggest to anybody who kind of disagrees with that. And, and again, I would suggest don't you know, question your front offices. Question the decision makers because there's a lot more going on behind the scenes, and they're going to sell you whatever they do. And, 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 and there's only going to be 15 teams that are going to have winning records at the end of the year. There's only going to be uh, 12 teams that make the playoffs. But, again, in the offseason, every single move in the local media tends to be given more of a positive spin. So you always have to ask yourself, what's really going on here?
0: No, it's it's all it's. This is really good. Um, I'm enjoying this conversation. And just real quickly, before I let you run, um, I I, I am, am definitely. I think I was in the minority with cousins with respect to what I thought he would become had he stayed here, especially with with McVay. Um But I'm also more of a Flacco fan than I think most people are and I think Denver's one of those teams that has a chance to make a significant turnaround if he's healthy they get they, they drafted the tight end and Fant he always needs that um, but I, I the reason I like him is statistically there's no reason to love him other than he will you know he will threaten defenses deep as you mentioned but for some reason in every important game the Ravens ever had he played his best <laughs>
2: Yeah, you know he's kind of he's, it's kind of uh, again it, it's a it's a it's a situation it's a thing that you can't really um, measure it's just un- an uncanny ability for him to do that. Now I, I, Denver's another team I've been highly critical of um, with their quarterback with with their decision making. Uh, I thought that Vance Joseph was a poor hire. I thought that everything that had had happened um, essentially since that team won a Super Bowl um, w- 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 kind of was a poor decision making and starting up there with John Elway. So I, I think that you know this is. This is a situation where, you know, I'm I'm cautiously, I'm kind of skeptical, honestly, a little bit, but I think that Blacko, you know, is a guy that that could make it work for them if if they can kind of get the right guys around him. I think taking at taking advantage there was a good pick, but at the same time, it does make you question, like, okay, you know, we, we, we said we we said we needed a quarterback, and it, and now are, are you in a situation where you're trying to win now? Um, and, and is Locke really the answer? Because, you know, he stayed on the board for a long time, and you're kind of saying, okay, we're going all in on Joe Flacco here. We're going to get him tight end. We're going to do it this way. And it just makes you question, does this team have enough? Um, however, I, I did do a model. I created a model where, um, you know, uh, you can kind of figure out teams that have a, a legitimate shot at a Super Bowl by, by simply looking at, you know, their DDOA in and, 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 uh, the year prior. And a lot of, it's only about a third of the league will qualify for that next year um and the broncos are one of those teams because they had a good enough defense so i think they they, they are a team that, that could surprise some people if flacco plays as well um as we know he could play especially in those key moments
0: does jacksonville fit that category
2: <laughs> jacksonville actually did not uh fit that category um you know they, they, they just had too low well of a floor so essentially it's um, uh, you, you have to have a certain floor in in one of the three phases: offense, defense, special teams, and 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 a, and a certain feeling. And, and Jacksonville's just a little too low. I think I think Jacksonville kind of, um, you know, it, it, they kind of they they kind of thought they were better than they were that year when, when they when they had that great defense and and you know everyone stayed healthy and then the injuries kind of hurt them this year and now you know guys certain guys aren't playing and certain guys want to be traded and I think you know Tom Coughlin and, and is not really doing. You know, making any friends or doing the team any favors by kind of being being critical of a lot of the team stars, and and I know that you know it's all about culture to him, and he he won like that in New York, but um, at this point, I don't think it's a, it's necessarily good to, to if you're going to end up running guys out of town um, in Jacksonville because that's not a, necessarily a team that that everyone's talking to go to in the first place. So um, I think Jacksonville's probably still uh, at least a, a year away. Though I do think Pose is interesting because he's shown a really high high ceiling if he's gotten the right uh, the, the, the right play calls around
0: well let me just go back to what you said you're, you're saying that teams that finished in the top third of defensive dvoa right
2: no so uh so it's, it's more complicated than that it's essentially um you look at the dvoa in all three phases now okay um you want you want to have a, a ceiling in, in one of the you want to finish you, know, you want to have a top 12 finish you know, in in, or in one of the phases. And then you want to have no lower than, a, you, know, X, you know, a certain amount in another phase um, unless you had a really high finish in enough. So there's a, it's a few qualifications. If you guys can read it, it's called, uh, you know, only 12 teams are worth the Super Bowl future right now. Um, it's on ActionNetwork.com if you want want more information. But essentially the Broncos along with the Patriots, the Chiefs, and, and a couple of other AFC teams um, were were included in, in that model. About uh, two-thirds of the week essentially gets disqualified. And, and this is worked. Um for, I believe it's twenty twenty nine 29 of the, the, the 31 years that I, that I use the data for. So, um, I just thought it was interesting. And I thought I'd bring that up, That the I would Broncos s- actually
0: make the cut. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I it's, it's one of the teams that I think has a chance to surprise next year, but, but again, without, without looking at, you know, um, top 12 and then, and then floors in, mm-hmm. in all three categories, I just look at their defensive talent and think that if they can stretch the field and make big plays offensively, which they haven't been able to make, they could be dangerous. I, I would, certainly assume the Redskins are not one of the 12 teams
2: (laughs) yeah no they're not and and essentially the upshot of this the upshot of it and why I did it um you know just to give people out there a little background with um just to look at you know how much can you improve in in one year and and how far can that take you and essentially it's really hard to improve um in one year in the NFL to the point where you actually can win a championship you know you could get really close like like think of uh Think of uh, you know the, the Rams and how they kind of yeah well and, of Jackson-
0: and Jacksonville
2: right, right right yeah so you could get really close you could get really close and and of course it's still a, such a small sample because there's only been so many Super Bowls and only been so many years we have this this data for but um, yeah it's really hard to kind of get over that hump to the point where you you are a champion in, in one year but yeah the Redskins um, they they've kind of sat you know sat here in this kind of mediocre purgatory. Um, for a while now, I, I think their highest upside teams may have been those—the the Robert Griffin, you know, before he got hurt—that um, that team. And um, ever since then, it's kind of been um, this kind of like nine and seven, ten and six ceiling, and, and, and the floor is is not super low with some of the other teams like like a Giants in that division. But um, it's kind of been in that you know six, six win range, and they have to do something to, to kind of get them over that hump. And I think you know the NFC is always there for the taking every year so um, I think Haskins this is a big year to, to, to see, you know, if Haskins can at least be uh, a guy who, who looks like he's going to have a bright future in this league.
0: Um, I'm keeping you longer than I probably told you I'd keep you, but just out of curiosity, do you? We all know that you know, essentially, on average, somewhere around 50 percent of the playoff teams each year are teams that didn't make the p- postseason the year before. Do you have any sort of predictive model that you know gives you the teams more likely than not to to turn around and see? Uh, turn it around into a playoff team from a non-playoff team the year before.
2: So I personally didn't create my own predictive model for that outside of, you know, just the models I use for, you know, predicting wins and, and, and stuff like that in general. But I will tell you that um, one of the main things that, that you can look at when, when you're trying to figure out who those teams are is there's something called uh, Pythagorean win theorem, which um, sounds more complicated um, than A squared so times we'll, B
0: squared equals C squared.
2: Yeah, Um <laughs> Uh, so it, it, it sounds more complicated than it is, but essentially all it's saying is that uh, a team's point differential um, will correlate more towards, to future wins than will their win loss record. So if you look at a team, um, point differential from last year and, and you use the Pythagoras theorem to essentially convert that to wins, which you can find on Pro Football Reference or, or any oh, many sites do it, but Pro Football Reference will have it right on the team page. It will tell you how many wins uh, they essentially should have won given their point differential. Um, and then you look for teams that won more games or less games um, then their point differential, and, and that's how you kind of that, that a lot. That's a very popular way. I think Bill Barnwell of ESPN has actually does an article every year about oh, it, just boy. looking at that. Bill Simmons has done it, where where you just kind of look at that, and you can kind of find teams that are going to regress. Um, and, and it's weird because actually. One of the teams that, that, that had the, the biggest difference was the, uh, the the New York Giants. They they won five games. Their their their, their point differential suggests they should have won seven. Um, and, and I have my skepticism about them because I think that they have a problem in New York that's a lot bigger than David Gentleman. I think it goes straight to John Mara in New York. So I think there might be a reason that that team is underperforming. But um, yeah, I think you can you can look at that and, and get a, a sense of which teams are going to. Well, and it, just and you know?
0: just looking at that without having the actual you. You know, model in front of me. I mean, you, you mentioned the Giants who had a minus forty-three point differential and they had five wins. The Lions had a minus thirty-six point differential and had six wins. And for whatever reason, each year I think the Lions are capable. I don't know why, um, and they just don't seem uh, to get it done. Um, but though, but De- Denver six wins and their point differential was only twenty minus twenty. So right, right. Denver seems like, along with yours and my hunch, by the way, which usually is strictly contrarian. You know, uh, uh, you know, basically taking a poll of what my friends think and then going opposite of them. That you, that's really worked for me over the years. Um, it, it, I think we're both on the same page as it relates to the Broncos being a surprise team in 2019.
2: Yeah, I think it really comes down to it, again. It just I think the defense is fine. It just comes down to can Flacco do this or, or can Locke give him, you know, what Flacco's not? And I, I don't, I, I think that, I think that from my point of view, I, I'm a, probably a little more skeptical than you, only because I think that at this point, John Elway, like, really, the only good You don't believe in him. Is, like, no, I don't. Yeah. I think there's a lot, and I, I wrote about this. If you guys want to check out my Denver Broncos 2018 preview. It's all there Um before before the season went down. I talked about this. So, but, but I think that, They have the potential, you know. I'm not ruling out. I think this is the NFL. It's about it's a ceiling week. It's about who has the upside. Because and that's why the same reason why I think Alex Smith is not a good um, choice to to be a, a starting quarterback of a franchise because he has the floor. But he doesn't have the ceiling. He doesn't put you over the hump, and he's he and he's going to choose not turning the ball over, over over giving you a chance to, to really threaten defenses downfield. Away. All right,
0: so truly the last one, and I'll let you run. So we've talked here about the the league, not just the Redskins or the Chiefs or Alex Smith or Dwayne Haskins. Here, do you have a hunch on a team that will surprise in 2019?
2: Yeah, and I I don't know if some, some, in some circles this is like very chalky, In other circles it's like overly contrarian, so I don't know where you stand or or where your listeners stand on this right now, but uh, I think the Arizona Cardinals are going to be... I think they could win... I think they could win eight, nine games this year. I think that everyone in the NFC West, actually, is is, is very good, but I think the Cardinals are going to improve a lot. I think, first of all, when you look at just objectively, forget about whatever you think of the air raid, whatever you think of Kyler Murray. Um, The Cardinals won three wins, uh, three games last year. Uh, The average team over the last 15 years... Uh, that has won three games in one year. The next year, they win an average of six and a half. So they those the team a team like the Cardinals just natural regression. Uh, you know, dub, more than it doubles their win total. But I think that um, with with the quarterback that they have uh, in Kyler Murray, if he if he's able to stay healthy, I mean, I when I look at him play, I see a little bit of Russell Wilson in him, uh, or a lot of Russell Wilson yeah. in him actually. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that they you know they they went up and they got a cornerback to, to play opposite Patrick Peterson. Uh, you know they have they, they made you know modest improvements to their offensive line. I don't think it's going to be great, but I think you're going to minimize um, how how bad it is because you're going to spread uh, defenses out. You're going to give David Johnson, who by the way, uh, you know aside from the one year he, he missed with the wrist injury, has played all 16 games, has scored double-digit touchdowns in three of his four years of his career. Um, you know he's a he's a superstar waiting to happen. You made some really good picks in the draft. Um, you still have pieces on defense. You have a, a top-flight cornerback. I think this is a team that could easily go from, you know, 3-13 and 13 to 9-7. To and seven. Like, I don't think that's a big um, – I, I don't think that's a crazy thing to, to see from them. I think the toughest thing for them is that they play in a division where I think, you know, even the 49ers are, are very good sure. if, they, if they get Jimmy Garoppolo back. I think the, the Seahawks, you can never count them out. Um, you know, people did, wanted to do that last year. And so I think that, that the only thing about that division is that they might – a lot of those teams might kind of knock each other off within the division and there will be a lot of 8-8s. Eight but I think that from a talent standpoint and from an organizational standpoint, I really like what the, what the Cardinals are doing. And in the AFC, I really like what the Builders are doing. I, I think that they're another team that's going to go under the radar, but I, they have consistently yeah. overperformed. And, they're, and' and they're they good they and,
0: and they they look really good defensively, especially if Oliver turns into something. Um, it's funny because you mentioned the Giants, and I thought last year the Giants had a chance to be a good football team before the season started, and the truth of the matter is, I think I would have felt the same way about the Giants going into 2019 if they hadn't started trading everybody, you know because they actually played some pretty good football in the second half of the season, you know last year. Yeah. And, and I, you know, however you feel about Eli Manning, that football team was a lot more competitive in the second half of the season. I think they may have gone four and four, or, or, you know, maybe four and three down the stretch, something like that. I forget. They had a terrible game against Tennessee, but almost every other game they had was a winnable game for them in the second half of the season. But then, you know, they've gotten rid of so many players, um, Look, I really appreciate it. Uh, this was really interesting, and for people that want to to read the story that I read that got me interested in, in calling Chris to have him on the show, go to TheActionNetwork.com or follow Chris on Twitter, at Chris Rabon, uh, R-A-Y-B-O-N. Chris, thanks so much. Thanks for
2: having me, Kevin.
0: I enjoyed that conversation uh, with Chris Raybon. Uh, we'll have him back on. You know me; I'm not big into you know using predictive modeling for gambling purposes. Um, but the story that he wrote was really interesting, and I it, it sort of fed into the gut feel that I had when we were talking about this. I don't know during the season or you know during the playoffs where I said, you know what, Alex Smith, I'm sure was a nice guy and a good mentor for Patrick Mahomes, but after watching Mahomes play, I don't think that most people would doubt that he could have done that in his first year. Uh, as well a uh, quick word about launch workplaces then we'll wrap it up uh, launch workplaces in Bethesda brand new fully furnished offices conference rooms co-working desks high speed internet they've got a cafe free parking and plenty of it get more work done today by moving your office to launch workplaces in Bethesda call today for an exclusive free two-day trial 240 or go to launchworkplaces.com that's 240-867-14 or launch launchworkplaces.com and by the way they have other uh locations around town uh real quickly tom haberstroh or haberstraw from nbc sports he's nba he's an nba insider he wrote a story that suggested that it's possible that lebron could get traded for ben simmons and lebron could end up in philadelphia uh just, we'll leave you with that. I don't even know what to make of it. Um, if LeBron goes from LA to Philadelphia after all the, the, the LA, uh, you know, all of the LA hype, the Laker hype. And now he's going to end up in this, in, in a Philadelphia uniform, man, Philadelphia, you certainly cannot, um, you know, criticize their lack of trying over the years. I'm surprised by the way, their coach is coming back. All right. Thanks to Aaron. Thanks to Chris Raybon. Have a great day. Uh, Cooley will be in studio with me tomorrow.